goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams, right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finally, McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. All right, welcome in to another edition of the Golden Homers podcast. Uh, I'm Nathan Erbach. I'm here as always with my co-host, Mason Plummer. Uh, got a good show for you guys today. Obviously, Notre Dame has been in the news a lot recently in regards to football. Uh, new, a lot of new staff um, transition under, under the new Marcus Freeman uh, head coaching tenure. Um, we're going to run through all those names. Notre Dame ended up with a commitment here over the last couple of weeks uh, in print, uh, in uh, Preston Zinter, a linebacker out of Massachusetts. We'll touch on him. Going to probably go into the 2023 class a little bit as well. Um, you know, maybe some realistic home runs that we would like uh, Notre Dame to, to land. And then we'll touch on a little bit of Notre Dame hoops with them being, uh, at least with the men's team, being the number two team in the ACC uh, right now uh, alongside Duke. Um, I think technically they're tied for first, but but Duke has that slight advantage because the head-to-head matchup. And then we are also going to touch on a little bit of uh, Notre Dame baseball here at the end uh, with their season starting tomorrow down in Florida. So uh, Mason, how you doing today? And uh, we'll get going here. Yeah, doing really well. Excited to be back on. A lot to talk about. Uh, you mentioned a lot of staff changes, about as many staff changes as you can really have. So Totally a new era of Notre Dame football. Super exciting. Uh, excited to talk about it with you. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously a lot of talk about because we haven't been on as much as we have been wanting to over the last you know month or so. Um, mm. But we're, we're somewhat back in action here, especially over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we actually, uh, without getting into too much into next episode, we have a special guest next episode to talk about the uh, NFL draft a little bit with uh, in regards to some Notre Dame prospects. So that should be pretty fun, um, especially with guys like Kyle Hamilton and, and Kyron Williams you know, seemingly being right up there with the best in their, in their position group. So that should be fun, but um, yeah, we're, let's get it. Let's get right into it, Mason. I know uh, obviously me and you guys are, me and you are both recruiting guys. Um, let's talk a little bit of Preston Zinter. Uh, and then we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit about like some guys that we like in the 2023 cycle or, or what could maybe happen here over the next couple months. So uh, what are your, what are kind of your initial thoughts on, uh, on Zinter? I think it's a really solid pickup and one that's going to go under the radar, but I wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a nice contributor for Notre Dame. Um, he, he's not, you know, the, the sexy name, the, the four or five star guy that, you know, everybody's really excited about, had a big buildup to his commitment, but he's a guy that wants to be at Notre Dame. And I like his versatility. I think that's the, that's the word that people really use with him in terms of he's able to play offense and defense. So uh, something I, I really like that you throw out in, in our group chat is, you know, get him and then figure it out. So get a guy like Zinter in the fold and then go figure it out. If he needs to play tight end for you and, you know, Notre Dame recruits tight end really well, but they, re they recruit linebacker really well also. So wherever you see the best fit for him, wherever you see, wherever you need him, he can play. So I like that versatility a lot. And I think he plays both positions at roughly the same level. So he's going to be a nice contributor for you. He's not going to be a guy that contributes from day one. He is not a Jalen Sneed, but two or three years down the line, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a guy in the middle of the defense or maybe even the offense that is a nice contributor and can do good things for you. He's a, he's a fundamental guy. That do, he does the right things from his tape. And um, he's, you know, you don't want to use the term that everybody uses for white guys. You know, he's sneaky athletic, but he's very strong and uh, always assignment correct. So I like what I see in his film a lot. And like I said, you know, it's not a, it's not a sexy, um, <clears throat> it's not a sexy pickup by any means, but it's a really solid one and, and one that Notre Dame has proven to do really well with in terms of positional versatility and a guy that can do a lot of good things in Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, the best part about him, is, and you already mentioned it, was is his versatility. I mean, he's listed at 6'3", 215. Notre Dame seems to like him at linebacker. Um, a lot of other teams in the country were recruiting him at tight end, so that just tells you right there. I mean, I think Michigan, for example, who – um, you know, his brother is an offensive lineman for Michigan, who was also recruited by Notre Dame. Um, they, they very much liked him at tight end from everything I've read. Um, and obviously they're top notch program in their own right. So, um, you know, but, but listed at six, three, two, 15, I mean, that's a kid that you can maybe see playing line or, uh, uh, Viper or, or not necessarily defensive end, but, you know, Viper down the road, like a Jordan Patello type, um, 
you know, and uh, I mean, Kahanokia, I think in the last year that he kind of moved over to Viper and, and you kind of see that a little bit in his game, maybe Joshua Burnham, like actually, if you're looking at maybe someone from the 2022 class to compare him to. Um, but even like another interesting part about him is right now he's the number 317 player in the country, according to the 24 seven sports composite. That's the worst player in Notre Dame's class, at least rankings wise. Um, by the way, the number one ranked recruiting class in the country right now. And I think that that's very relevant, partly because of the top notch guys that they've landed. I mean, I think their rating is like almost at 95. They have two five star guys, a couple other guys in the top 100 um, overall. And I mean, there are probably some years, Mason, without looking back. Uh, too far that the number 317 kid in the country who is technically a composite four-star would maybe be like the fourth or fifth ranked kid in the class according to the rankings and and right now they have nine guys committed or whatever and he's the last one I was just thinking that if this Notre Dame class reaches the heights that we think it can it wouldn't surprise me and we think he's a good player right it wouldn't surprise me if he's last in the class at a bar you know a kicker or whatever that are some reason two stars and right you know, we should go add more kickers because that's what Notre Dame needs is a couple more. So (laughs) last guy in the class, and I still think he's a good contributor. So that just says, you know, what Marcus Freeman and the staff is doing in this 2023 class who we think we both think can be special. Yeah. And it's another thing. I mean, obviously these rankings are right now, the rankings are going to change fairly dramatically over the next, you know, 10 to 12 months. And the, but as of right now, I mean, I, I did a, like one of my, one of the cool features on 24 seven sports is like their class calculator. And I know we, we love that. Yeah. And I was kind of playing with that the other day. It came up with the class and Zinter outside of Sullivan Ashber, who we can get into here in a, a few minutes when we talk about some players who's currently unranked, but I think he's going to end up being a pretty high four-star down the road. Zinter was literally their, their bottom recruit um, or their last recruit in that too. When I added another 15, 20 guys to the list. So um there, I think there is actually a very good chance, um, barring them taking a guy, you know, maybe down the road that they just like a lot more than other teams, and they and they kind of put their stamp on that that kid. Um, I could, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's definitely the, at least in like that bottom two or three players uh, in the class from a ranking standpoint. Um, but I wanted to kind of, I mean, obviously run over a little bit of like our 2023 uh, wants and and needs. Um, definitely, definitely some needs in the class based on what they, what happened last year and what's on the roster currently. Um, just running through the class real quick. I mean, Notre Dame has two defensive linemen and Keon Keeley and Brennan Vernon. You're not going to find two better defensive linemen probably in a class in the country right now. Um, have two linebackers with the commitment of, of Zinter. Um, they have Drake Bowen, obviously as well, who's a five-star linebacker out of the state of Indiana, um, two safeties, um, you're kind of sensing a theme here with uh, in terms of defensive heavy, but uh, but Peyton Bowen out of Texas, who's a borderline five star, and uh, Adon Schuler out of New Jersey, um, who I know Notre Dame is trading like a top 100 player, um, and then uh, Justin Rett kind of rounds out the class in regards to defense right now. Um, he's a cornerback out of Las Vegas, out of Bishop Gorman. And then uh, two two guys right now on the offensive side of the ball, Cooper Flanagan, who's kind of keeping tight end you running, um, and Cedric Irvin Jr. out of out of Florida, uh, Miami, Florida, I think. And um, you know, really really saw a class to date. But but Mason, I mean, obviously, I know I know the Notre Dame has some needs, and and I know you probably have some wants for some guys. Uh, kind of run me through maybe, especially on the offensive side of the ball, because defense seems to be really. Um, you know, just, just doing really well right now. Uh, what, what are, what, what do you think Notre Dame needs to kind of get to um, over the next couple months? Yeah. Receiver is the ticket. You know, everybody's saying that, but it's true. You got to get a couple guys in the class and I like where, where they're at with some guys right now. So things seem to be trending well for Braylon James. Our boy, Tom Loy has been reporting that. And that seems to be a, that's a really good thing. You know, Braylon James is a good receiver. You mentioned uh, earlier today that you were watching his tape and, you know, we really like what we see, from him and at this point I mean obviously getting studs is awesome but at the same time if those are I mean bodies in the room but if those guys are studs as well I mean that's that's what you need so Braylon James is one of those guys and he's not even the top receiver on the board so you need to go get Carnell Tate too and that's going to be a really difficult pull uh, from Ohio State it's been well perceived for a long time now that those are the top two uh, options for Carnell Tate Notre Dame and Ohio State so 
Um, I'd imagine Notre Dame's looking at a three or four wide receiver class and wouldn't surprise me if there's a grad transfer in there as well. But uh, Kyler Casper is another name to know. Rodney Gallagher, that's another guy you said that you really liked his tape and uh, how effortlessly he runs. And that's something you really look for in a receiver. So uh, I'm really focused on receiver. Get some guys in the class. You need to get them committed and get them locked in. I mean, it's, it's got to be an easy sell where, you know, you can come in and play just where the lack of bodies for Notre Dame right now, unfortunately. Uh, that's kind of the spot that they're in right now, but they're in a good position for a lot of guys that I like a lot. So, um, yeah, receiver's the ticket. Yeah, and I think uh, there's a, a much more likely opportunity for Carnell Tate if you land his, uh, you land a, a, a certain quarterback out of Michigan named Dante Moore. Yeah, um, and uh, th- those two are boys. And I'm not saying that that's 100% that you would land Carnell Tate because he's going to probably end up where he wants to go um, when it's all said and done. And, you know, there's obviously a likelihood that Tommy Reese isn't here after this next season. And I know that's kind of where he has built the biggest relationship on the Notre Dame staff. But, you know, you land a guy like Dante Moore and the wide receivers are going to come. And uh, that, that, that I'm not worried about. If, if Notre Dame lands Dante Moore here in the next, you know, three or four months, they might already have a couple wide receivers committed at that point, but um, especially with this big weekend in March coming up. I mean, maybe some of these guys just end up really loving the place. Um, I mean, you mentioned Braylon James. I think he's a high academic kid, already has a previous really strong relationship with Chancey Stuckey. So he, he could be one of those guys that's just a one and done. And what I, what I mean by that is gets on campus, gets blown away and decides that he wants to commit. And maybe it's not right away, but it could be, you know, within like the fall, you know, the month or so after. Um, but you land Dante Moore and it just wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, there's wide receivers lining up to not only play for him, but play for Notre Dame under Chancey Stuckey and Marcus Freeman. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I, it's my first time getting to hear Chancey Stuckey speak today and uh, the Irish Illustrated videos from the interviews they got to do the other day. And I totally understand where everybody says, you know, that charisma, the energy he brings. I totally see it and I totally get it. So that's a lot different, not to hate on Dell, but Dell's an older guy and uh, Dell mm-hmm. Alexander, the former Notre Dame a receivers coach and he wasn't really that so you need a young energetic guy uh, especially to recruit at Notre Dame where it's you know it's kind of perceived at this point that Notre Dame doesn't have the offense to that you know it's a, attractive to receivers where they're going out and throwing the ball around Notre Dame's known for checking it down to the tight end and uh, running the ball throat kind of offensive line you so um, kind of changing changing it there and just pitching these guys hey you can come in here and play day one so Ducky seems to be the right guy to do that I really like what I'm hearing from him and Hopefully we're going to see his chops on the recruiting trail here soon. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I wrote down a list and um, I think our buddy Corbin did the same thing, but, um, and I, I kind of took Carnell Tate out of it on this one. Cause I do think, and you already mentioned it, but I, I do think his recruitment is probably trending a little bit more towards Ohio state right now. Um, but a recruiting class of like Braylon James, Rico Flores, Rodney Gallagher and Malik Elzey. If Malik Elsey is your fourth guy, that's a damn good class first and foremost. But I think it's also a blend of just a lot of different types of talents. Um, Gallagher Gallagher would be kind of like that speed guy. I mean, I mentioned to you when I was watching his film and you kind of already touched on it, but he, there's just like an effortless. Um, it, 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 when he runs, it just seems very effortless. He runs by guys. It seems like he's jogging. Um, and, and those are the type of players that you want on your roster because those are the ones that transition to the NFL and become stars there as well. Um, but then you have like, so Braylon James, Rico Flores and LZ, even though they're all bigger receivers in like that six, two, six, three frame, I think they all do some different things. LZ is kind of maybe more of that, um, chase Claypool, uh, miles Boinkin type where you throw it up to him. He's going to catch, he's going to catch those balls that are 50, 50, make them 90, 10 balls. Um, probably a deceptive athlete. And that's from that standpoint, um, and then James and Flores are kind of a, a combo of a lot of things. They can play all over. They, they can play the field. They can play the boundary and, um, you know, probably throw them in the slot as well. And they're just really terrific route runners. They beat you. They beat you in a, in a, in a ton of different ways. And I think that that's important to build your wide receiver class and, and don't just get guys that do all the same thing, which I think Notre Dame is sort of pigeon themselves into at times when they've had like those big bodied wide receivers. One of the reasons why they weren't able to compete against the Alabamas and, and the Clemsons of the world from an offensive standpoint is they couldn't separate maybe as, 
as well as guys like Devonta Smith and Jerry Judy and Jamison Williams and Henry Ruggs and guys like that do. And I think guys like Gallagher and specifically Rico Flores, when I watched it, when his film today as well, those are guys that can separate against anybody and everybody. Yeah. And that's really what you need. You can't have all these just big receivers. You need guys that can get some yards after the catch and not to say that guys like Boykin, Claypool, McKinley, not to say those guys couldn't do it because they absolutely could, but you need the, the speed guys that can make you miss in space rather than run over you. So a good blend of talent. Um, yeah, I'll take as many Lorenzo Styles as I can get, right? So we're about to see what Lorenzo Styles is really made of this year after one year, full year in the program, second year now. So um, yeah, I, I really like where Notre Dame's trending with receiver. You got to get these guys in the class, but at the same time, you got to make sure they're hits too. Uh, that's just kind of the way that the receiver room has been left, unfortunately. But uh, I, I trust where recruiting is at right now. It's in a good spot, and you're in a good spot with a lot of different guys that seem to have interest in Notre Dame. So, namely, Braylon James, who's already locked in a visit. That's a big deal. Getting guys on campus, um, that's kind of widely known at this point. That's Notre Dame's biggest weapon. Guys, you know, on campus, they're like, wow, you know, I really like this place. So, that's, that's big time. That's a big deal. And I, I'm really excited to hear how that Braylon James visit goes. And, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Lorenzo Styles, who's already on campus or obviously has, has played his freshman year in Notre Dame. And one thing, and maybe you'll disagree with me on this, but one thing I'm actually kind of excited about this year with the Notre Dame wide receiver room is that it kind of is similar to what I just mentioned. You have a lot of different body types. So you have Tobias Merriweather coming in, who's a big guy, kind of like a T Higgins clone uh, to an extent, probably needs to put on a little bit of muscle, but he can do a lot of different things, but 50, 50 ball is going to be great. Deion Colsey, red zone threat, 50, 50 ball, maybe doesn't show that elite speed, but then you complement that with a, a slot guy like Avery Davis, who can get open and then also do some things in space, assuming that knee is healthy. And then you have a guy like Lorenzo Styles who can pretty much do it all. He's at a pretty good size at like 6'1", 6'2", um, has the good speed. But like you mentioned, he's probably more of that traditional wide receiver that people love in today's game where he can separate, he can create space without the, with, with the ball and without the ball in his hands. Um, and then obviously you have a guy like Braden Lindsey who we know has top end speed and has shown in spurts here and there that he can even win some 50 50 balls but in reality you want someone like Braden Lindsay in space running 50 yards down the sideline with no one touching him so even though this year there's been a lot of complaints about the wide receiver room you can sort of see how they were starting to get a little bit away from only getting the Miles Boinkin types and transitioning into okay we need guys who can do several different things and then you even saw in the bowl game with a Chris Tyree out of the backfield you put you line them up in the slot you line them up on wheel routes and certain things like that and he was able to create space again with the ball and without the ball and they haven't had too many of those guys in the past I'd imagine that the the playoff losses and the big game losses were a wake-up call like okay how are we getting beat we have we have the game you know we're essentially equal if not better on the both sides of the line of scrimmage but we're getting beat by these playmakers constantly. So we need to go out and get some playmakers. So that sure. seems like what they're, what they're trying to do. And I really like that because Notre Dame does really well recruiting defensive line and offensive line as it stands right now, our running back recruiting is in a good spot, tight ends in a good spot. So go get a, some playmakers at receiver and then go find your top notch quarterback. And Notre Dame is not that far away from a national championship. Yeah, absolutely. And it starts with, it starts with the coaching staff. And I, I kind of want to transition into that. Um, you know, way different coaching staff than we probably were expecting a couple months ago, even when Brian Kelly left, um, it, it seemed like a lot of the guys were going to return essentially outside of like a Brian Polian and then offensive line and wide receiver coaches, as we knew, were probably going to be, um, you know, relieved of their duties with, with new guys coming in. So, um, but obviously Marcus Freeman takes over as head coach. Only, only guy that's been retained on offense for a variety of reasons is Tommy Reese, which I think was probably the most important person that you needed to retain on the offensive side of the football. But Lance Taylor moves to Louisville as their offensive coordinator. You bring in uh, Dalen McCullough from Indiana as your new running backs coach, obviously very highly regarded as a guy there. Chancey Stuckey is now your wide receivers coach. He was the wide receivers coach at Baylor last year. Um, Harry Heastan comes back as offensive line coach. I don't think anybody's gonna <laughs> anybody's gonna complain too much about that one. Uh, he has a pretty proven tr track record, not only at Notre Dame but pretty much everywhere else as well. Um, and then you look at um, tight end and, and Jared Parker, 
Um, great thing about Jared Parker is I think the fact that he had some offensive coordinator experience while at West Virginia. Um, I, and I, th- I also, also like that he was the wide receivers coach. So he brings a little bit of diversity. Um, you know, maybe you can, he can help Chancey Stuckey at wide receiver a little bit as well, especially with him being a fairly new coach to that position. Um, and they can maybe tag team some, some wide receiver recruiting. Um, Cause I think we both agree that tight end recruiting is essentially going to recruit itself as long as they keep getting those guys, the ball. So um, that's sort of the offensive side of the ball. And then on the defensive side, you have Al Washington who takes over as the defensive line coach uh, seems to be a pretty good buddy of, of Marcus Freeman from the past. Um, Al Golden obviously takes over as defensive coordinator. He was the last guy to get hired and he obviously will also be coaching uh, the linebackers. Um, and then Mike Mickens, and Chris O'Leary stay, uh, stay the same, which I think is great. Uh, obviously, O'Leary was just promoted last season, and then Mickens was already sort of a Freeman guy, so you sort of expected him to stay on staff, um, assuming he didn't get a defensive coordinator position. Um, and then you bring in Brian Mason as the, uh, um, the new special teams coach, who was very fiery um, yesterday in his interview and yeah. super impressive. So, um, yeah, no, I think you, you tweeted something out about uh, – the fact that, you know, it, it, about aggressiveness and uh, it certainly uh, is, is a nice, uh, <laughs> maybe a nice change of pace there at that position. Yeah, I really like it. You know, the, the way that he described his approach to special teams, I really like. And it's it's more of, of a part of the game than people want to give it credit to or give it credit. You know, it's it's 33% of the game and games can be won and lost that way. So I can I can get behind controlled aggressiveness, you know, picking your spots. You don't need to be doing something crazy on, on every kick return or punt return, but every once in a while, try something. Uh, I mean, the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game certainly isn't the same if Chris Tyree doesn't take that kick back. So why aren't we returning kicks more? So that's something I really like. That's something I think Brian Mace is, is going to bring, maybe some more exotic looks. Why not? I mean, I somebody on Twitter was telling me today. Well, I'm so worried about muffing punts. I mean, if you're if you're really worried about muffing punts, you're you're not giving yourself the chance to to go make an electric play that changes the game. So I'll take a muff punt or two if that means you return one or two kicks to the house and it changes the game. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Is like I'll I'll take a few muff punts here and there if it means that the field position battle and the uh, just the explosive play uh, battle throughout a game is in favor of Notre Dame most of the time. So, um, yeah, no. And, and then I think just on the surface with this staff, I mean, obviously they haven't, they have, have not coached a game yet. I mean, that's one thing I want to reiterate. A lot of people like want to, for whatever reason, blame, blame Marcus Freeman for the bowl game, which I don't think is completely fair considering it was immediately after losing Brian Kelly. Um, he hasn't done a lot of the recruiting in regards to the, the roster building yet. Um, and then right now he has a completely new staff, even based off what he had during the bowl game. So this is just a new program altogether, staff-wise, player personnel-wise here soon, um, you know, starting with the new quarterback. I mean, this, this 2022 team is nowhere close to what the 2020 team was in terms of just roster construction overall. Um, and then obviously you had your two best players out of that bowl game as well. So um, you shouldn't be blowing leads like that, but it's just one of those things where I don't know why people are so worried or caught up with, with that. Um, but on the surface, this, this coaching staff just feels like a home run. And part of that is obviously is the recruiting chops that they're going to bring. Um, I mean, I think competition breeds success and, and elite players are going to be able to make up for shortcomings at times from a fairly young and inexperienced coaching staff. Um, and even then, it would it, they would overcome if Brian Kelly in, in regards to that, too. So just because you have a experienced coaching staff, does if you bring in the talent to do it, it's going to over they're going to overcome any sort of shortcomings, regardless of the staff at hand. Well, yeah, and if you have inexperienced coaching, you'd like to rely on your elite players. So uh, yeah, being recruiting guys, we're really liking to see the uptick in recruiting. I'm really enjoying that. And um, guys that know Marcus Freeman will, you know, he's willing to talk to them. It's not Brian Kelly where, you know, the, you're signed to Notre Dame and then you meet Brian Kelly for the first time kind of thing. So those days are gone. You don't got to worry about that anymore. Bayou Brian's down South and a uh, new era of Notre Dame football. It should be very exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to start this year. 
um, with, with some of it. I mean, obviously a lot of the guys that, that Freeman brought in on the defense side of the ball from an athletic standpoint, athletic profile standpoint, um, a lot of those guys could help this year. And I think we're going to see it in the 2023 cycle as well, where it might be Notre Dame's first top five class in a very long time. And I'd be actually at this point, I'd be pretty shocked if they don't finish in the top five. Um, they, they finished number seven, I think this year on the 24 seven composite. Um, I would be, it would, it would be fairly shocking to me if this team doesn't surpass that by a pretty wide margin. Yeah. Just the guys that they're involved with. Um, I think Tom dropped a list of guys, you know, that they're actively recruiting. And as it stands, you know, in the 24 seven sports rankings, they're recruiting, or at least very much in for 43 of the top 100. And you could say that, you know, they have a decent shot with just about all of them. So that's a, that's a big change compared to what, you know, kind of what we're used to where maybe that's in the teens and you only land a couple of those guys, you know, you end up with three or four top 100 guys and Notre Dame's looking at, you know, potentially a, a dozen, maybe two. So pretty excited about that. Marcus Freeman doing everything he can on the recruiting trail. He understands how big recruiting is to the college game and, it's only going to help him once he really figures out what kind of coach he is and what he can really do as a coach. Once he figures out how to be a head coach and once you already have the elite talent with it, then that's going to be, that's going to be a lot really fun times as a Notre Dame fans. Yeah. I was going through a list real quick earlier today and, you know, just even like top talents to borderline a uh, top talent or, or five stars, you know, you, a, a realistic class. I mean, you got, I mean, already, you obviously already have Keon, uh, Keon Keeley, who's committed and a five-star consensus five-star recruit at this point. Uh, Drake Bowen is a, a composite five-star. Um, Brennan Vernon, I think is a five-star on rivals, but probably more closer to like the top 50, top 60 range. But guys like if Dante Moore commits, he's a five-star, one of the best players in the country. Um, Samson Okunlola. Uh, offensive tackle. I mean, I don't even know if I said that right, but it sounds right. <laughs> um, uh, offensive tackle out of the, you know, the, the Northeast, uh, who I think is really hitting it off right now with Harry Heastan. Um, you know, Samuel and Pemba, who can, who's a five-star probably at like six different positions. Um, you know, Jaden Osbury is right up there in that five-star range. Um, I think personally, guys like Rodney Gallagher, Rico Flores, Braylon James could end up being around that that time that frame as well. Um, Peyton Bowen, as we already know, is is pretty close. So I mean, that's just looking at that list and seeing a, all those names. That Notre Dame usually isn't in the mix for that many guys who could finish in the top thirty to thirty-five. Well, yeah, and and we we know both from private conversations and guys that you know put it out there publicly. <clears throat> the amount of guys that wouldn't be at Notre Dame if it wasn't for Marcus Freeman. You know, you've been on record saying about Jalen Snead, Joshua Burnham, those types. And it's just crazy to think how many guys, <clears throat> everything happens for a reason, and how many guys would be at Notre Dame in the past if it was for Marcus Freeman, if he was around. So this is just a great thing overall. And when Brian Kelly left, it seemed like a huge deal. The world's falling, but I, I really like where Notre Dame's at, uh, specifically in recruiting. And uh, this 2023 class, man, you know, you mentioned earlier the the dream class that you and Corbin kind of laid out. And um, usually I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of those. You know, things happen and more names emerge. Guys decide that they kind of want to tail off. But that seems really realistic. And uh, top five not only should be the goal, it should be the expectation, like you said. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, well, I want to move on, Mason. I know we, me and you are pretty excited about, uh, you know, to talk a little bit about Notre Dame men's hoops um, right now, obviously, I think I mentioned this at the top of the show, but uh, currently I think ranked number two in the ACC tied for first with, with Duke having the edge from a head to head standpoint um, have won 15 of 17 games um, 12 and three in conference, 19 and seven overall, essentially a lock, if not already a lock to make the, the NCAA tournament barring some collapse here in the last five games of the season and also in the ACC tournament play. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, right now, I think that they are really, they're probably in that like to eight to nine range would love to see them get to like the six, seven range as a seeding standpoint. Um, I think one of the worst spots to be is that eight, nine range, even though it tells you that you're a pretty quality team, I'd almost rather be a 10 or a seven, or I mean, sorry, a 10 or 11, um, which would essentially is kind of like that same path as the six to seven, just so you don't have to play a number one team in the country um, or a number one seed, I should say. 
um, in that second round, assuming you get to it, but what are sort of, I mean, I know, I know you watch pretty much every game you've been to the last couple um, just, just as, just like I watch every game, you know, what are kind of just some of your overall thoughts on this team as a whole and, you know, maybe the program moving forward. Yeah, the program is in a good spot. And at the beginning of the year, initially losing to Boston College, you're like, man, this is going to be another rough year. And it happened early on. So you're like, we don't really have a lot to look forward to. And if I told you that they would rattle off this many wins after that Boston College loss, you would have told me I was crazy. And they, uh, you mentioned I've been going to a lot of games. I was able to go to Notre Dame Boston College last night. And it looked like for a long time that they were going to lose. There's something about Boston College that's kind of Notre Dame's kryptonite I mean they were able to overcome it last night but everything that Boston College was throwing up from three-point land was going down they were getting and ones left and right on some questionable calls um, the the environment was really nice last night and people getting into it and especially upset with the referees I don't ever really like to blame them but there were some questionable calls for sure and um, some points added on that I don't think Boston College really should have had but um, yeah, I really like where the team's at. This upcoming class is, is has a potential to be special. Um, I really like what J.J. Starling can bring to Notre Dame, especially if Wesley Goodwin, Leshevsky, uh, hoping Atkinson can come back. I don't know the whole deal with that. The Ivy League is very strange. But um, yeah, I, I really like the future of the program. And as of right now, I, I wish that the they, Mike Bray would go past the the seven man mark in terms of bringing in more subs I mean he knows when guys are ready better than we do but uh, I, I do worry about this team playing a lot of games and starting to get tired and you only have so many guys to use so um, you know playing through the ACC tournament obviously having potentially the double buy will be very nice but getting into the NCAA tournament you need to be fresh and I, I think I think they will be Bray knows how to do this but um, these guys don't have necessarily that experience either. So you'd like to see them get past that eight or nine range. Like you said, you don't really want to play a one seed, but I don't necessarily see them moving up to the six or seven. So you know, maybe being a 10 seed isn't the worst thing ever. So we'll find out here soon. This, uh, these next couple of weeks are going to be very telling, see what this Notre Dame team is made of. I'm really excited to see if they can make some noise in the ACC tournament. Like, you know, like I said, having the double buy is very nice, but go ahead and go win the whole thing and then and see where you end up. The only thing, I mean, I think, like I said, right now, I, I've seen some pretty prominent um, seeding people put them around like the eight to nine range. And if they're right, if they're currently right now at the eight to nine range, you have, I mean, they have five games left. Let's just assume they go four and one with the way they're playing. They have, you know, three more home games left. I say they split probably Wake Forest and Syracuse on the road or Florida State on the road um, and win and win their three home games. Um, I think that's a pretty fair assumption based on the way they're playing. Um, that would mean they finish, you know, 16 and four in uh, in the ACC, probably finish as the two seed behind Duke, get that double by probably probably win their first game in the ACC. And then they play. You know, I think right now the schedule kind of favors them with that double buy. And then let's just say they make the, the championship game and lose to Duke again, but play them much closer. I think it's going to be pretty hard to keep them out of a six or a seven seed because they're going to be by far the clear number two team in the ACC, even though it's down. Um, but Duke is obviously going to be ranked as a one or a two seed. And I don't know. It's just one of those teams like I, they're, they're certainly not the 2015 team. I don't get that vibe in the sense that they can go make an elite eight or a final four run and be considered, you know, one of the best teams in the country when it, you know, when they get to that point, but it wouldn't surprise me if they made the sweet 16, um, you know, the, the lack of depth on the bench bothers me to an extent, but Bray kind of has that role in right now, especially if Leshevsky is going to be healthy. Um, you know, Trey Wirtz and Cormac Ryan are really coming on, I think, right now as, as bench guys for them. Um, I mean, obviously, Ryan has kind of entered the starting lineup with Leshevsky's knee the way it is. But just the way those guys are playing, I think, helps because they can maybe take more minutes than they were earlier on in the season, um, which sort of brings a little bit of fresh legs to the, to the, um, to the table there. And I don't know, man, like I just get this vibe that, like I said, they're not the 2015 team, but it's, it, it's just a vibe that they're they, they, you know, this, they seem to be winning all these games, whether they're close or not, they just find ways to win at the end of the game. When it gets close, it gets to crunch time. Like yesterday, I think is a really good example. I think I even, I even mentioned this to a couple other people, but I was like, dude, they're going to lose this game. This is one game. I feel like they're going to lose. They were down five with like 
you know, two and a half, three minutes left and they found a way to, to fight back, win at the free throw line. And it's just, I don't know that that's a way a veteran team does it. They, they find ways to, uh, to, you know, scratch and claw and <laughs> get their way and, and, and get that win. And um, there's just something weird about this team. And, and it's a vibe I get that they, you know, are going to continue to, to win those close games uh, moving forward. Yeah, they, they find ways through one way or another. And um, the, the clutch shot by Prentice Hub at the end, it, it was ugly. I was sitting behind that basket. I didn't think <laughs> it was going in. And I, I mentioned, you know, we were texting throughout the game and you can tell when, when Hub's going to go down, he has the ball in his hands. There's something about like the look in his eye or just kind of the way he handles the ball. You know he's going to shoot and you just have to pray it's going to go in because you, you know he's putting it up one way or another. So he seems to kind of have that clutch gene. And I think part of that is just not caring. He doesn't seem to care. Not, not in like a bad way, but it's not – he's just like, you know what, I'm throwing this up. I, I'm like confident that it's going to go in. And he's done that a couple times now. I believe he had a game winner against Pitt. So – yep. Uh, I mean, Hub's not my first choice to take a game-winning shot by any means, but, um, I mean, it, it always looks good when it goes down. So he had some clutch free throws as well. A solid game from him, including the the interception on the, the inbounds pass, which is an all-time bonehead play by the Boston College guy uh, going down with a chance to tie. I blame the coach on that one, too, man. That was brutal. Brutal set. Uh, yeah, it was it- – it was bad from the setup, but you can't throw it right to Hub. I mean, I don't know if they had any timeouts left, but at least give a guy a chance. Yeah. No. I, action. Right, right, exactly. And speak, speaking of Hub, man, I, I would love to see what his, like, his um, field goal percentage is, like, in the final, like, two or three minutes of games versus, like, what it is actually. Because I know he's a very low percentage uh, shooter. I mean, he's always kind of in, like, that high 30 range low 30s or mid 30s for for uh um you know his his three-point percentage so he's not a he's not a I mean he's very like and I don't want to compare him to this player because this player is a, a way better but kind of like how AI was in in the uh in the NBA where like he put up some and maybe and maybe not this year because he's kind of like accepted his role as like not the best player on the roster like maybe like in years past where he was if he wasn't good Notre Dame wasn't good um at least from a a point standpoint but he it kind of goes back to what you said like he just doesn't care and I think early on in the year it was maybe a little bit different he was kind of feeling that like oh man like I'm really struggling I'm not playing well and and you could see it on his face and then he hit that game winner against Pitt, and it's kind of from there it's sort of changed he has a, obviously a really good assist to turnover ratio but he's he's been much better in ACC play from a shooting standpoint um and, he, and he's always clutch but I would love to see what that field goal percentage is like I said in the last couple minutes of games versus maybe like the first 37 or 36 minutes um the other part about this roster that's great is that they can almost all return next year. Um, I don't right. know if they all will. Um, I, and you mentioned this obviously with Atkinson, I, even if Atkinson is allowed to return, I just don't know if he would, do you really want to be in school school for six years, especially when you're a guy like a guy like him who can go play overseas and, and make a lot of money doing it. Um, I don't think they would turn away hub if he wanted to come back, but that that's a tough sell with, with Starling coming in and you have Wirtz and Ryan and Wesley most likely coming back. Dane Goodwin has already said he wants to come back. So that with Starling coming in specifically, who's going to demand minutes and demand the ball when he's, when he's on the court, um, it might be hubs. It might, might be in hubs best interest to leave, even if that means transferring out of the program. Um, but at the same time, if he wants to come back, Bray's not going to say no, because Bray loves him, but um, if assuming Atkinson's not back, I mean, getting a, probably a transfer big man again is key, but the, the hope I have for this roster right now, because of how they've been playing over the last, you know, two months is that next year's team could be really good. I mean, Dane Goodwin, Blake Wesley, and Starlin, you might not find a better, you might not find a better trio of guard play slash, you know, wing play in the country, um, from a, shooting standpoint, athleticism standpoint, versatility standpoint. I mean, all those guys, I think, can do a bunch of different things on the court. I agree. And I had one last point on Hub. So 
I can't remember a guy in, you know, I don't watch a ton of basketball. I like college basketball. I don't watch a lot of the NBA, but it, this even proves my point further. So I've never seen a guy like Hub. So it, he makes it and it's just pure money. Or when he misses, he misses by so much. It's so bad. It's not even close. <laughs> so it's, but it's not like he misses like close. Like if Goodwin misses, you're like, oh, you know, there's a good shot. It, you know, he hits the back iron or something like that. And, you know, you don't mind, you don't mind him missing, obviously. But Hub is going off the top of the backboard or he, he has a couple of air balls every game. It's crazy. And, but then he'll take that though. Like I read in a, you know, a Bray's post game. Uh, interview and he was like you know we've learned that it's kind of his thing but he'll make some occasionally and you know it, they tend to be big shots and I just don't get it you don't know what you're gonna get like when he puts it up in the air but it's like oh my god like you, yeah. you have a reasonable expectation with Leshevsky or Goodwin you're like you can kind of tell by the shot arc if it's going down and you see hub and it's going in or it just catch an air at the top of the backboard it's one of those three no in between yeah, and a good point with Goodwin, too. I mean, I think there was one – you might not have seen it yesterday since you were there, so sometimes you get different angle points, um, you know, when you're there versus watching on TV. But he was hot to start the game, um, very much like how Wesley was. Uh, say again? I walked in a minute late, and I saw he already had eight. I was like, what? Yeah, and I think it was like his first miss or, or close to his first miss from three, like went like halfway in and came out and you're like, okay, that's when you know a guy can a, first of all, shoot it and, and is B hot at the same time. It's just like every time right. he shoots it, you think it's going in. And even though obviously he's only like a, you know, 45% three point shooter. And I only, I shouldn't say only because 45% from three is tremendous, but <laughs> you know, you know that 50% of the time it's not going to land, but every single time you do think it's going in and, and hub, it's like, when you, when you throw it in, you almost close your eyes and hope for the best. Right. I wait for the roar of the crowd or something. So I don't want to watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, so yeah, the basketball team, I think definitely has people excited. Uh, one last thing, Mason, before, before we let these people go and uh, for, for the weekend here, Notre Dame baseball is, is coming up on their first game tomorrow. Um, ironically enough, you know, Notre Dame hires Dylan McCullough as their running back coach, and they're going to be playing in Dylan, Florida. Um, so that's kind of a random coincidence. Um, but uh, they, they play, I don't know if it's a tournament or not, but their first three games of the, of the year, they play uh, tomorrow against Manhattan. Um, they play on Saturday against uh, Stetson. And then they play uh, Sunday against Delaware. So like you said, before we hopped on, maybe three easy dubs, who knows? Baseball is always kind of tricky. You never know what kind of like those low level teams are, are sneaky good. And from my experience, you know, working in D1 baseball, pretty much everybody has a good Friday night starter. So tomorrow's game might be fairly close just simply because of that. Um, it's hard to find most teams in the country, at least at the D1 level that don't have that really good at least that really good number one guy. And, um, but yeah, no, obviously with them coming off of last year's disappointing ending to the season, but also great season overall, um, they pretty much return everybody besides Nico Cavadas and um, Tyler Colup, who was a, a really good relief pitcher for them, but they landed a few uh, grad transfers um, on the pitching side of things, which, which should make them uh, relevant. Um, in, in the bullpen and in the rotation uh, this year, but just really exciting overall. Um, we were talking off off air a little bit about this, but there's there's definitely like a vibe about Notre Dame baseball right now under Link Jarrett. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And he's kind of revolutionized the program. So um, Nathan, I, I had a question for you. I, I know it's a three game set and I know there's a certain strategy to it, but I saw that Bertrand is starting on Saturday. Is Saturday's like, that's when your main guy goes? So, no, technically your Friday guy is typically your guy. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of teams that have, like, I mean, I remember back in the day when Florida, and I shouldn't say back in the day too long ago because all these guys are still pitching in, in the pros, but there was Florida had, I, I forgot who it was, but it was their, their Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys were like all first round picks. Um, and one thing I've noticed is a lot of the times your Friday guy seems to be a, maybe a veteran. Um, who you know is going to produce all the time and then like maybe your Saturday Sunday guys are, are like a little bit younger but like absolute dudes who are eventually going to be your Friday guys um, but no I noticed that when when it, well, I think it's AJ Terrell right is there yeah is there uh, on the Friday guy but he was the guy that kind of came on at, at the end of last season 
Um, and in my opinion, was probably their best pitcher from like a talent standpoint last year, um, at least in the rotation. So it wouldn't surprise me if they just felt like, hey, he gives us the best chance to beat the elite teams on a Friday night against the best pitchers. Um, and then you put Bertrand sometimes, and, and I will say sometimes there is a little bit of a strategy of putting like a, a Bertrand, let's just say he, they do view him as their best guy. Sometimes there is a little bit of a strategy of like, okay, we think our Saturday guy, quote unquote, Terrell could, can hand, hand, handle his own, um, on a Friday night. And then we have a significant advantage on, um, on Saturday. Uh, against this other pitcher but then in the case that you're mentioning they obviously play three different teams I don't know enough about Manhattan Stenson and Delaware maybe Stenson is the just the best team out of those three by like a, a significant margin and they want they want Bertrand pitching against the best team from that standpoint um, without b- before thinking about what you said um, that that's ve- that very very well could be the case and we'll find out you know next week when they play on Friday um, if, uh, who's pitching, um, on Friday. So, um, that, that could certainly be, be the case. So do you know anything about Temple, the guy that is pitching on Sunday? I do not. Yeah, no, I think we mentioned this when we did our spaces the other day, I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I, I just don't, I don't follow the Notre Dame baseball program as closely as I do like basketball or football, um, until sort of the season starts. So I'm sure I'll know a lot more about him here over the next, you know, few months, um temple i mean but yeah um at least going into the at least going into the season outside of the guys that were were mainstays from last year i'm not fully in tuned with with it but I, i'd like to now that uh now that i'm sort of away from college baseball and i'm not really focused on the team that i was coaching <laughs> um I'd, I'd certainly like to to get a little bit more into notre dame baseball and, and maybe some of their players but it's a hard, it's a hard thing to follow. Like you don't, there's not as much pub around it, even recruiting. Like it's, it's just way different. Cause there's just so many guys and um, there's the, the rankings and stuff like that. It's just, it's not done as like thoroughly as um, you know, basketball and, and football rankings are where, you know, California, for example, because it's a warm weather state, it's on the West coast. They might have, you know, five, 600 and I'm exaggerating here to an extent, but like, Actually, you know what? I'll give an example and then we can and then we can kind of continue. When I was at UNLV, we had a player. His name was Kyle Isbell. And I ended up say again. I know the name. Yeah. So right. So he was last year, he was the starting right fielder on opening day for the Royals. Um, he was a third round pick out of the draft as a junior. And coming into high school, he was very well, very highly regarded, had, had definitely some really high major D1 offers, and he was from California. None of his high major offers were from the state of California. So teams like USC, UCLA, um, you know, Cal, some of those top-notch programs from the state of California. Now, baseball is a little different. You have guys, you have teams like Pepperdine, Long Beach State. Um, you know, University of San Diego, like where Chris Bryant went, um, San Diego State's always pretty good. He didn't really have those offers, but he had offers from obviously UNLV, which, which is where I coached. And then um, I think Texas Tech was like his big other offer that he was considering. Comes to UNLV and turns himself into a third round pick. He was probably ranked like somewhere like in like the 300 range or so for kids just out of the state of California. So like coming out of high school now, obviously that's maybe somewhat of an of anomaly, but it just goes to show you how many kids on a, on a regular basis. And I think like the, the rankings go like top 500 on a yearly basis for, um, for baseball guys. And it's just like, I don't know how that's really deciphered because unlike 24 seven sports and rivals and stuff like that, there's no like true ranking system for, for baseball and high school it's more like if you're a scout for a major league team or something like that that's when you're really noticing those kids coming out of high school yeah it's definitely interesting and it it makes me want to follow college baseball more when you know the local team at least for me is doing well so it was so fun to watch that team 
last season, even though it ended up in a disappointment. But, you know, as somebody who doesn't follow it super closely, them even making it that big with national broadcast and a lot of attention around it. And the star guy I went to high school with and Nico Cavadas. So, uh, yeah, it was super cool. And the, the whole city I'm in in South Bend, Mishawaka area was very excited for Nico Cavadas and that whole team. So that was super fun. And I'm hoping they're able to capture that magic again. They're getting started here soon. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the best part is that they're on pretty much on ESPN, some sort of network on a consistent basis with the ACC network. So you can watch them if you have, you know, just your computer and your, and your app and stuff like that, which is nice. So I know last year I got to do that a lot when I was just at work, um, which was fun. Just put them on kind of in the background. So I'm looking forward to doing that again this year, but Mason, anything else you want to maybe touch on before we get out of here? Uh, no, other than just to your point right there, I did just read that they're on national broadcast, like ACC Network, eight times this year with a, with a potential for more, but eight are locked in. So definitely at the very minimum, I mean, go see them play if you're in town. Uh, it's always a good time, but at the very minimum, eight times on national uh, broadcast. So that's pretty cool. And one thing I will say to other people, actually, before we get out of here is definitely always check the opposing team's um, schedule. Um, or even Notre Dame schedule, because it should give you an idea of what channel they're going to be on. So I think I'm looking at their schedule right now. And one of these things says Greenville Drive YouTube channel uh, for their series next week. There's a good chance that that's free to get on. So even though they might not be on ESPN or ACC Network, um, definitely always check to see where the what they're saying in regards to uh, um how you can watch because last year i like i think i watched almost 75 percent of their games because it was pretty easy to find even if they weren't on the acc network yeah and this uh i know we weren't going to get into it but this is our, you know notre dame baseball might be your chance to get your baseball fix if you're a baseball guy yeah. uh, on the state of affairs with the mlb so hopefully that's not the case but at least you can rely on <laughs> notre dame and college baseball Yep, absolutely. And that, that minor league baseball, we're still rolling this year with that too. So, um, but yeah, so guys, thanks for, thanks for tuning in today. Um, like I mentioned, I don't want to spoil it uh, too much, but we will have a special guest next week. We're going to talk some NFL draft prospects and kind of devote the show uh, to the Notre Dame guys that are in the draft. So look forward to that probably early next week. I think we're recording on some like Sunday night. So hopefully like Monday or Tuesday, we'll have that out for you guys. And uh uh, again, thanks for thanks for joining. Uh, as always, I'm Nathan Erbach. He's Mason Plummer. See you next week. Thanks, guys. The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930. Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622. Two five zero zero six two two. Hey guys, Nathan here from the Golden Homers podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or grilling on the weekends, I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses: exceptional quality meats. Meet Up Vegas is my hookup. MeetupVegas.com. That's M-E-A-T Meet MeetupVegas.com. Their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet, pork chops, and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib. And you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks. All the meat is individually vacuum sealed to maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer. And it's cheaper than you think. Check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code IRISH10 at checkout to receive $10 off your first order.